Yes, hello, it's Jason Louv. Welcome back to the Ultra Culture Podcast. We have a great episode for you. I'm talking to Angel Millar. Yes, I'm actually back to interviews. Uh, Angel is putting out a book called The Path of the Warrior Mystic, Being a Man in an Age of Chaos. You can pre-order it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or IndieBound. It's coming out in November. So if you're listening to this prior to November, hop on it and pre-order it because it looks awesome. Well, actually, it is awesome. I've read it uh, and I've spoken to Angel quite a bit about it uh, in this interview. Uh, so high recommendation, actually. Uh, he basically, we have a whole lot in common, as we found out in this interview, in terms of our esoteric backgrounds. He's uh, uh, definitely been through a lot of the same mazes, byways, and highways of occult learning as I have, and has come to some really interesting conclusions, which he has summarized in this book, which is a great book on basically how to reach for higher ideals in a world that is constantly trying to tear and drag everyone down to the lowest common denominator. Uh, and he's woven in all kinds of stuff from the world's esoteric spiritual traditions on how to raise yourself up. It's particularly aimed towards men, but I think anyone would enjoy it. But it's primarily focused on men. Here's the Here's a little bit from the press release. Ancient and classical societies have always had an ideal of manhood. In Japan, the samurai cultivated not only the art of the sword, but also poetry, calligraphy, and spiritual practice. In Confucianism, the ideal man was the Chunzu, a higher man, who cultivated both the arts of war and the arts of peace. And in medieval Europe, the knight lived by the comparable code of chivalry. Such men, considered both warriors and mystics, exemplified wholeness. Yet today, men exist in a chaotic world without role models, guidance, or a sense of the sacred masculine. Exploring how to reconnect with the archetypal male ideal and develop the different sides of your being, author Angel Millar offers a journey of self-development to help cultivate yourself as a whole, mentally, physically, and spiritually. He examines some of the problems facing men in the world today. Lack of strong friendships, distracting technology, constant criticism, and shares practices to develop yourself in the face of these problems. He shares techniques for enhancing your focus, overcoming fear, integrating your shadow, developing inner silence, and creating a self-image more appropriate to who you are and aspire to be. He also explores the importance of relaxing tension in your body to help you break free from pattern-induced behavior and self-defeating thoughts embedded through muscle memory. Examining influential figures both contemporary and historical like Steve Jobs and Swami Vivekananda, powerful myths from East and West such as the tale of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, warrior and brotherhood traditions as well as literature and fine art, this guide will help you discover your inner sacred masculine, a better understanding of the world and your place in it, and ultimately how to become a confident, strong, and dynamic contemporary higher man and a leader in your own life. Well, uh, tall order, but I think you're really going to enjoy this. I, I love the book and uh, I love this conversation. But first, I am once again asking you, the most important question in the world. What is magic? Magic is power. It's the power to wake up to your true purpose in life. You know this if you've been following 
this podcast or my work for some time. And you also know that when I talk about magic, I'm not talking about stage magic, and I'm not talking about Hollywood magic. I'm talking about real magic, much like we just discussed in the intro. Magic is the spiritual path of becoming the person you were meant to be. It's the magic you already have in yourself that you know with the right tools you can awaken right now. And at magic.me, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, we give you all the tools you need to do exactly that. So as you know, I'm an author and journalist that spent a quarter of a century now exploring the world's spiritual technologies and combining them with the best of modern psychological research to radically awaken and transform people's lives. So, dear listener, let me ask you a question. Do you truly feel like you've discovered your purpose in life? And if so, can you truly say that you're living it? Listen, when we're out of alignment with ourselves, life loses its magic, doesn't it? Suddenly, it can feel like nothing we're doing works, like we're in a machine we don't understand, maybe even a machine that's against us. Maybe life can feel like one giant frustration or even humiliation after another, like we're stumbling around in the dark. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. That's what life is like with the lights off. So how about we turn them on? At magic.me, I've assembled the world's best tools for awakening your consciousness and turning on the lights. At the magic.me website, you can tap into thousands of video lessons on the core teachings of the world's sacred traditions in order to supercharge your life with empowerment, clarity, and magic. You can stream our courses to any device on your own schedule in bite-sized units one by one. Seriously, even if you've got 10 minutes a day to start learning magic, you can immediately start aligning with your true purpose, gain control of your life, achieve clarity, and become the absolute best version of yourself. Because after all, that's what the world needs most of all. You at your best. Magic.me's courses are safe, effective, and potent. These methods have worked for people for thousands of years, they've worked for thousands of our happy students, and they will absolutely work for you. Our courses hold your hand and literally guide you every step of the way to achieving massive success, spiritually and materially. And of course, we offer full money-back guarantees on all of our courses. So dive in now, and if for any reason you decide this isn't for you, that's cool. You can just contact us within our terms and we will refund 100% of your money. It's literally a no-risk proposition. So check out our courses at www.magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K.me. And whether you start with our basic subscription or dive headfirst into our massively transformative mega courses like the Adept Initiative and the Alchemy of Chaos, you can start creating your own new reality right now. All right, it's time to turn on the lights. And with that, I will see you in class at magic.me. And in the meantime, here's Angel Millar. Welcome to the podcast, Angel. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. I very much enjoyed your book. I just finished it. Uh, it's uh, just out. So The Path of the Warrior Mystic. Being a man in an age of chaos, and uh, this is a great book. This is a book I would give to, um, I think, any dude 
but definitely like a younger guy just coming up, you know, who's feeling a bit lost. And uh, I was very uh, moved by quite a lot of it. There's so much you put in there um, from so many disciplines, martial arts, mysticism, mm-hmm. uh, positive thinking, uh, lots of stuff that echoes my own experiences. But it, there's so much in there that you, it's just, just this great grab bag of kind of links to um, traditions or paths to becoming a more complete individual i think and i would i this mm. is i would not hesitate to give this to a young guy or or any guy i think mm, i'm glad to hear it thank you so what uh you well tell you what you want to start off you want to tell us a little bit about the book sure well the book is really a journey of um sort of self-development in a way um looking at different aspects of um what we might call the initiatic path. Um, and it references, uh, in particular, uh, the myth of Seguin and the Green Knight, as well as other mythologies. Um, and really, it's a kind of um, adventure of going into the world and being uncompromising uh, and developing oneself to the full and um, not making excuses for oneself or feeling I'm hard done by because I had these things happen to me, but really kind of it, embracing what life throws at you and using that actually as a source of inner strength to transform oneself and one's life. Got it. Yeah. I think that if I was to, the thing that really, this is a book that is really interesting. I I think brings together a lot of things in a very cool Venn Venn diagram. Um, It's in some senses to me, struck me as a very much kind of like a, positive thinking book or it struck, you know, the narrative style you use is similar to perhaps like Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power, that type of thing, uh, where you're using examples from the lives of successful people to demonstrate principles. But at the same time, the people you're mentioning are like David Bowie and Bauhaus at times, which is just like (laughs) awesome, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I, I can see this book very much straddling the mainstream of perhaps positive thinking, but then bringing in mm-hmm. ideas from uh, more initiated traditions, if you will. And um, so maybe if you want to talk a little bit about what your intent was, is this is this a book, who do, who are you intending this book for when, when you were writing it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, really for any, any guy who wants to um, develop himself to the full and live life to the full, really, and develop not just the mind, but the body, develop uh, the consciousness, develop skills in the world, and develop, in a sense, a kind of mystical understanding, as well as creativity as well. Um, But, you know, I think women could read it. It just wouldn't necessarily be applicable to them in every sense. But, uh, yes, that was really uh, who I was thinking of when I was doing it. And and I suppose I would have to say, um, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, of uh, what, what would have benefited me, you know, throughout my own life journey, and not only that, but what what lessons can I draw on uh, in my life as well that might be a benefit to uh, to other people? Well, there must be a lot of this book that is drawn from traditions or things that you kind of went into and experimented with mm-hmm. yourself in your own life as well, from martial arts to to other other pursuits, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, when I was writing, I did have to kind of reflect on my own life quite a lot. And um, 
you know things I had forgotten about as well. But but uh, but certainly, you know, I begin with a discussion of the warrior martial arts, and in a way, uh, I try to embody what is a very classical um, uh, uh, classical way of being for men in, in really in every developed culture or civilization that is developing these dual aspects of manhood and as individuals we're very um conflicted and contradictory we want all kinds of different things and our our own desires and fears change throughout the day anyway as we all know or we get what we want and we suddenly don't want it and that's a kind of very low level individual whereas the the, the warrior aspect really develops um both sides of what we would think of as a classical masculinity. So it develops the warrior side through the arts of war, martial arts, spear, sword, and so on. But also the, the warrior, whether it's in Christian chivalry or Islamic futawa, which is translated chivalry, but is actually, the literal translation is actually young manhood, would develop uh, skills that are maybe a poet, poetry, uh, arts, calligraphy, and so on. And, you know, Miyamoto Musashi, the uh, samurai, was renowned in Japan for his uh, calligraphy and his painting, even for his landscape gardening, which we would never think of. And in the West, you have a figure such as um, Egil Stellar Grimson, the extremely feared, in a, in a way, psychotic Viking warrior. I think he made his first kill when he was 15, maybe even earlier. But he was also renowned for his poetry, and he actually introduced end rhyme to, I guess you would say, European poetry. Whereas before, there was actually the first word of each line that would, would be the rhyming word. So, you know, the, the warrior is this, it's not a contradictory figure. It's actually the figure who has tried to resolve these, this duality that is in existence itself. And um, so I begin with a discussion of the warrior, of the body, of the, the mind and the body in competition. But I actually end with um, uh, the mystic. And I, I take the mystic, uh, the term from uh, Arnold Toynbee, although, of course, it very much relates to what interests you and I. Um, but uh, Toynbee uses the term mystic to mean, on the one hand, like a mystic who receives this revelation and that he retreats from the world, receives the revelation and goes back into the world and transforms society through his, um, through his sort of initiated vision or revelation. But on the other hand, he also means the creator, the creator who sort of sees beyond uh, what is uh, accepted in society and comes with this new vision of society as well. So it, it begins with the warrior, but ends with the creator, which is, would be more like the artist, the calligrapher, the musician, and so on. So we want to draw these two things together to not only transform ourselves, but to you know have an impression on the world that is uh, healthy and uh, conducive to the good life for other people as well. Yeah, that really struck me about this book because it is you know clearly coming from a more, if you will, initiated perspective. Um, I think mm -hmm. that there has obviously been such a push towards hyper, a balancing push. I think, you know, I'm, I'm interpreting this through mm -hmm. the, after just having read your book. So this is how I'm thinking about it. But mm -hmm. um, there has obviously been 
um, a push back against feminization in a way in our culture. Mm. I'm thinking of the kind of like the massive demand for the Joe Rogans and Jordan Petersons of the world and the need to be <laughs> right, like this yeah. kind of hyper macho figure, but almost in reaction against the perceived mm -hmm. softness of modern life. But what you're saying yeah. here, although it might be perhaps seen as in to some extent in dialogue with that, um, what you're saying here is not necessarily that it's to to meld those two things together, perhaps, you know, the warrior and the mystic. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a couple of things. Yeah. So this isn't a book where it's about you know, men. It's a book about the, the classical ideal of men, which would be, you know, samurai such as Miyamoto Masashi. Um, it would be the Islamic warrior with Futawa, the, the Christian knight of chivalry. Okay, I'm not saying that they were, they were always perfect or good ideals, but, but this idea of uh, the fusion of uh, the masculine sort of warrior ethos, war, self-defense, physical strength with uh, with the more what we would consider feminine arts, poetry, music, creativity, and a, a, a sense of beauty. Uh, and, and with this as well, being able to enter into different states of consciousness, we become uh, fetishizing of rationalize it, ration, rationalism today. We're not really rational creatures. Uh, at all, uh, there's all kinds I of agree. we go through all kinds of states of consciousness throughout the day, from daydreaming to hypnopompia when we wake up to sleep and so on. But um, but uh, in regard to let's say the Joe Rogans and Jordan Petersons, uh, I don't know if people will condemn them. You know, I listen to them. I listen to a lot of other people who'll be uh, contradicting that. But the, the point I make about society in my book is that our society is actually quite extreme and it goes from one extreme to the other. And that's another reason for developing this sort of dual aspects because sure, you know, today, uh, the way our society is, it wasn't 30 years ago and it won't be 30 years from now. It's constantly shifting one way and another. It's very, uh, it's a very unstable, but very creative society. But, but uh, ultimately, the only way to navigate this is to um, to, to develop oneself as a whole, and, and and not specifically the people you have mentioned. But there are, of course, other people in this sort of like men's mm -hmm. uh, world who sort of present themselves. I'm a warrior, but actually, you know that there's other sides to them that they won't acknowledge because they're afraid. Oh, well, yeah, there are other people who think I'm feminine, but they're usually highly artistic and this kind of thing as well. So. Um, you know, our society is extreme and is always going one way than another. And uh, we don't want to be carried along with that, current. We want to be a, uh, a fully developed human being who can resist these ex extremes. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I quote uh, P.D. Uspensky in the book, you know, who was a disciple of uh, the mystic uh, Gurdjieff. And uh, he says, because people think they have self-consciousness when they don't, uh, they they will never develop self consciousness because they don't see any reason to, and, and and this book is in a sense about developing that self consciousness, knowing when things have gone out of balance, and you know I do say again, for example, when tradition is attacked, you might need to defend it, but when innovation and creativity is attacked, you'll need to defend that as well because what society needs is the best of the tradition, which can be an example but it can also be something you attack to create new things you know picasso attacked the tradition of fine art but there was a tradition to attack to create something new and interesting and when everything becomes kind of like we can do anything you really you don't get 
interesting art or interesting music or interesting ideas anymore. And I think that's the danger for our society today, or one of them anyway. <clears throat> yeah, I, you know, the, the, as I was kind of grappling with the ideas in your, in your book, the, and thinking of a way to encapsulate it in my mind for this interview, the thing that really stuck out to me is, I mean, I, it seems to me that if, if I was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if I was to kind of um, underline kind of the core core meaning perhaps of your book, it's mm -hmm. that of aiming for a transcendent ideal and and yeah. of rejecting that back and forth movement of rejecting the critic, the critical mm -hmm. criticizing, you know, mentality of society. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and in a sense that transcendent ideal is, as, as you just been talking about is in a sense, more, at least more unchanging because it's tradition, but yeah. it also could be the future. And I think you even touch on this in mm -hmm. terms of people attacking new innovators and things like that. Uh, if I could read a passage right. from your yeah. book that, sure, that really, sure, I mean, I underlined several of them that uh, I'll probably pull out um, because they just struck me. This is early on in the book. Uh, and I think you're talking about the, the, the relentless critical and, and tearing down nature of of our mm -hmm, current mm -hmm. discourse, which I think we're all uncomfortable with. Uh, and you say, nevertheless, mm -hmm. siege mentality or siege morality, excuse me, as you, you call it, which is a great phrase, siege morality has real world consequences. It is used as a weapon against those whom the moralist disagrees with or feels threatened by and against those who act in accordance with their will, since the moralist feels incapable of doing likewise. At its most, path most pathological, siege morality becomes a kind of compulsive game in which ever more microscopic faults are detected and the most innocent action or statement is held up as an example of heresy. But more than that, it locks the moralizer out of the realm of being. It always focuses, and I think that's the key point, it always focuses him on others mm -hmm. on others and what they're doing. It is as if the modern human being has imprisoned himself. I love this. It is as if the modern human being has imprisoned himself in a glass box of his own making. And he recognizes that only those outside the glass prison are truly capable of acting, capable of good and evil, capable of becoming themselves. Unable to bear the sight of it, he bangs on the walls, shouting and trying to get others to stop what they are doing. <laughs> In a single explosive moment, the walls are torn down and the glass is shattered. Uh, and the, I mean, what better way could you encapsulate our uh, mm -hmm. uh, poisonous online discourse these days? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to an extent, you we can't really blame those people because, you know, the algorithms are designed to make people angry, they're designed to make people hooked. And it's really bringing the worst out of people. And I, I don't know if you know this, I probably mentioned it in my book, but um, <clears throat> over the last four decades, creativity has gone down. It's It's been measured by this quote-unquote Torrance test. Mm. And uh, it's called CQ, or Creative Quotient. And uh, it's actually gone down in the last four decades. And I don't think we actually need for it to be measured to see that because suddenly, you know, um, 40 years ago, we had, you know, or more or less, you know, punk, grunge, all these different subcultures. And if you were a, um, you know, if you were a teenager, or maybe in your early 20s, you know, three de decades ago, uh, you were going to be like, maybe not making your clothes, but like changing them in some way, sewing patches on them, ripping them and doing kind of crazy things to them and making your own kind of fashion. You'd probably try and be in a band or something like that or doing art. But now uh, young people, as with everyone else, are getting sucked into this being online all the time where they cannot develop themselves and where 
Instead, they're given this identity of, okay, well, you may not be in a band or you may not be doing anything creative, but you're a victim and that's your identity. And this is extremely dangerous for them. And, um, you know, I kind of, I reject this, this kind of a simulacra of rebellion. It's not real rebellion and it, it keeps people plugged into the system. And all of this rebellion usually uh, is around, well, you know, tune in to our news broadcast tomorrow to see the latest <laughs> horror or whatever it is. And yeah. um, so it keeps people plugged into the system. It's not a real rebellion at all. To, to be truly rebellious, in a sense, you have to go through something to think through it and go beyond it. And then as you know, Zen masters will tell you, once you've mastered one art, you can see relationships to other arts. So in you know classical Japan, it would be you see the relationship between the, the sword or kendo or sword fighting and the brush. These two very often went together. This uh, bunbu ryodo. That's probably not a great pronunciation, but the art of war and the art of uh, of literature, uh, the brush and the sword. And again, there's a relationship to the tea ceremony and so on. And um, that's the, the way you can think truly original thoughts because it doesn't come easy. In fact, I would say, I don't know if I mentioned in this book, I think I might, that, that in, a, in a way we can only have there are different kinds of thoughts and there are thoughts that come and go. There are thoughts that we pursue for a few months and there are thoughts that we, uh, that we pursue for about a decade or more and then our life can be considered a thought and you have to go through it and it's a long, long process. But at the end of it, you start to think original things but you don't for a long time. So would you say that, um, and this is not a loaded question, although I don't know how I can phrase it otherwise, <laughs> but that, um, in, by rebelling, you know, that if you, if you push, if you really, if you truly rebel, not like what you're talking mm -hmm. about, but if you truly, mm -hmm. or what you're criticizing, but if you truly rebel, um, perhaps eventually you are attracted to, um, a more, not necessarily a, a more traditionalist asp, um, um, path, but I'm thinking of like Colin Wilson's The Outsider, where he very much makes the mm -hmm. point that right. people may begin attempting to uh, get away from or reinvent their culture, but then often mm -hmm. become devotees of a tradition, right? Yeah. And, I, and and find they yeah. find something more eternal that's perhaps outside of um, mm -hmm. their daily yeah, cultural and, and discourse. Yeah, and, and clearly that's an option that some people are taking up. Um, I was listening to an interview with a convert to um, uh, uh, Christian Orthodoxy on the Hermetics podcast today. So it's, uh, clearly some people are doing that. For me personally, and I would say that's not the, necessarily the case, and uh, that's not really what I'm advocating. Um, you know, in a, in a sense, I, I'm sort of saying that uh, if we, let's say we take the, the metaphor of the, the artist or someone who wants to be an artist, uh, you know, many people want to be a type of artist. They may, may say that they want to be a cubist artist, for example, but I would say you don't want to be a cubist artist. You want to go through that tradition or through, through a good um, education of art and then come out the other side where you can express yourself fully. And maybe there will be some kind of relationship to that, probably not. But uh, in a sense, it's, it is about taking the risk of going into the chaos, going into the world, going through some kind of tradition, not 
to embody it or stick with it or say this is I'm I'm this I'm that and I'm not those other things but to, to go through it to, to discover yourself in that journey and then to, to come out the other side where you can say I see that the weaknesses in this tradition and here's where I'm going to innovate and do something new if it's true in the words of Khalil Gibran I paraphrase slightly but if if what I have said is true another will come and say it with a different voice mm. you know if it if it is true then your innovation will still reflect something archaic or classical or timeless and um so I don't think you need to join a tradition, but you need to go through one. And that's a process usually of several years. But I think, you know, even if we look, you mentioned Bauhaus earlier, you know, Goth, Goth got its name from uh, the, the hollow sound that was reminiscent of cathedrals, for, for example. So you can't really escape the archetypal or the archaic. It always re-manifests in, in these new things. I think where you don't find that is when it, it starts to become a kind of copy so yeah the punk punk bands today for example you right. know, of the one the popular ones i don't know what they embody <laughs> well that um i think the, the search for instagram followers probably but um yeah right. that, that, that thank you for clarifying that i i there's another quote in actually this is one of the ones that stuck out to me the most um but clarifying the mm need to go through perhaps instead of tradition because that's a fairly loaded word mm. particularly these days um yeah the process of initiation right of becoming right, right. becoming more yourself not becoming bound by mm -hmm. a tradition but using a traditional form no. to become who you are so this quote yeah, this, right. but this quote stuck out to me so much uh, when a man has begun to be ashamed of his ancestors the end has come Swami Vivekananda remarked, yet in the West where the past is relentlessly attacked, there is hardly a people today who have not been made to feel shame at their predecessors and few respect or revere the generations past. Yet whether we like them or not, our ancestors are in our bodies. We inherit their physical conditions, their advantages and disadvantages, their strengths, and in some case their illnesses. The contemporary Western world is in a state of rebellion against the past. Education criticizes the thinkers, writers, and artists of the past who are deemed at best out of date. Citizens too criticize and even condemn the country they were born into and live in, which for whatever reasons they refuse to leave and they criticize their own families. Um, it strikes me even just reading this now, would you mm -hmm. consider this, um, you know, this perhaps Quranzonic uh, mentality, uh, this, you know, constant tearing down and criticizing that so much embodies mm -hmm. the nature of the internet as a rejection of initiation, as a fear of basically participating in life. Yeah, it's definitely an anti-initiatic um, attitude, very definitely, yeah. And not just from the fact that, you know, initiations come from some kind of initiatic tradition, not just that. But, um, you know, I think if you're not willing to see the, the good and the positive in things, there's just no possibility of any kind of transcendence and it's not to say that you have to think that everything is good of course not that's why you go through the tradition and reject it at the end and develop something yourself but um but yeah if you cannot see the, the potential the possibilities the good in things uh, you're in trouble uh, you know many years ago i studied under a uh, polish uh, artist and um, who was classically trained but you would never know that from his art 
which was very influenced by Zen Buddhism, a very, very modern. Um, but he had a, a real classical training uh, from Poland. And, uh, and one day he said to me, the artist can never be bored because there's always something interesting. And it's, it's probably the case that an artist can be bored. But of course, what he meant was you should always see what's interesting and good and possible, no matter, even if you only have enough money for charcoal, there's something you can draw and be interested in. And that's essential for any kind of self, self-transcendence. That's really the, the, the most basic element, I would think. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, particularly now, I mean, we live in a society where people have more tools. Mm-hmm. Internet Information yeah. technology has given people the tools to do literally anything they want, yeah. even if it takes yeah. them a while, but it won't take them as long as mm-hmm. it would have 30 years ago, whatever it is, whether it's doing music no. or or art, or starting a business, or whatever it mm-hmm. happens to be, and yet everyone's miserable and sniping at each other all day mm-hmm. long. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And yeah, you say right. you say just a few pages after that last quote, um, where you are calling people to a more heroic attitude to life, which is what most of this book is doing. This is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say you don't have to do this for the sake of anyone else, but only for your own sake, which is a I, I wish people would realize who is more mm-hmm. likely to live the kind of life he wants an individual who is full of resentment or an individual who is curious, interested and engaged and who focuses on what brings him joy and gives him meaning and who is more likely to be able to contribute positively to society and to the world today. Criticism infests the West. One side criticizes the past tradition and achievement and the other side criticizes the critics. They have embodied mm-hmm. to borrow a phrase from Hegel, the negative of the negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's kind of unfortunate because, um, you know, although um, people may construe that we're talking about one political side, they're both attacking each other. Um, okay, one side is a critic and the other side is a critic of the critic. But what what good is that? You know, you need to create something and need to create something of meaning and value and beauty, something that enhances life. Yeah, and it's it's exhausting you know, the constant uh, strophe and anti-strophe of uh, <laughs> modern society. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you talk about, um, maybe if we can bring it down to earth just a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you talk so much about the process of self-overcoming and the hero's journey and, you know, mm-hmm. not, not, you know, and it, I, I don't even want to say necessarily the hero's journey because that brings up very, you know, cliched Hollywood ideas, yeah. but <laughs> the alchemical journey, shall we say, because you're, you're yeah. very much talking about you know uh, layers of transcendence here mm-hmm. um what is you know maybe you can talk about your own path uh, obviously you know sure, you, you, sure. you can't help but infer from this book that you've clearly overcome many difficulties in your own life yeah. and have gone to these sources for inspiration in doing so maybe if you want to talk a bit about your your own path yeah. through struggling with these ideas and how it related to your yeah. life yeah so i mean i guess i've lived a fairly colorful life but um uh yeah so you know uh, i have to say uh, as i mentioned earlier you know i was reflecting on even on my childhood as, as i was writing some memory things i had completely forgotten actually and um but anyway to kind of skip that unless you want to go into it um no please do you know i yeah well i so the most relevant thing would be um in regard to overcoming struggles and obviously i think it's true to say that i'm known as an author and um uh and i re- it completely 
uh, slipped my mind. I've not thought about it in decades, but uh, I remembered actually that when I was um, probably around nine years old, um, I was actually uh, had to have remedial reading lessons, which I had to read out loud in front of the class to the teacher, which was, you know, horrible, humiliating experience. And, you know, again, I completely forgot about it. I'm pretty sure I was dyslexic. I don't fit uh, the criteria now, but I think I would have done and probably even a couple of decades ago. Um, but I was extremely talented at art. And um, it's really the thing that I struggle with most that I've become most known for and most innovative in. Uh, and that's actually something that I found when I was looking at different um, innovators in the world, that they almost always were propelled forward by their by their own struggles. Or, uh, and uh, Malcolm Gladwell claims that um, really uh, success is a, is a case of when and where you are born, largely. But as I point out, all of the people who are innovators or most of them anyway, um, they uh, had all kinds of struggles and disadvantages that should have made them failures. And it was those struggles that propelled them to success. And so you have someone like, uh, you know, Alphonse, uh, 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 sorry, Edvard Munch, uh, who painted The Scream, who said, you know, suffered with depression and illness, deaths in the family, it's terrible. But, you know, and he said that it was, that was his rudder in life, and that without it, he would have been, you know, directionless. Or you take Steve Jobs, you know, college dropout who studied uh, calligraphy under a Trappist monk. I mean, if most young women had taken him home to meet their parents, the parents would have said, look, this guy's a loser, and you want to get someone with a good job in Silicon Valley, maybe, or whatever was there at the time. But it was precisely the fact that he studied calligraphy that enabled him to introduce different fonts to the computer because they were all basically calculator fonts before then. And so it was this disadvantage that was his advantage. It's, it's your struggles, your disadvantage that always turns out to be your advantage later on. But um, uh, going forward in time, because childhood is not that fascinating, I mean, Proust would disagree with you. I mean, it, we struggle. We, it lasts our whole <laughs> life, really. We struggle with it our whole life trying to, to deal well, with what happens yeah, for those that, first 10 years, you know? Yeah, no, that's true. And that was something that was a theme in my own mind coming up as I wrote this book. But, but um, to get to things that would interest your audience more, you know, I became very interested in uh, spirituality and the occult. Initially, when I was about 15, but I really wasn't, you know, I didn't know anything. I just bought a couple of books and tried astral projection. But when I was 17, I came across a shop, uh, an occult shop near where I lived, a few miles away, and uh, I became very involved with it. I was there every day, and they had, you know, had a kind of neo-pagan circle. And then later on, I don't know if we want to go into this, when I was 19, I joined the Illuminates of Thanatoros. Extremely, extremely intense time. And uh, we spoke a little bit about it off air, but... Um, Actually, uh, the reason, or one of the main reasons why I quit, I had a very intense life even outside of that. Uh, and it was a very intense time in Britain anyway with the uh, you know, Iraq-Kuwait war. A real air of paranoia in, in the general populace anyway, but hmm. my life was very intense, very transient. Um, I was always staying in different places. Uh, I'd stayed on a friend's couch, or lived on a friend's couch for five months, not long before that. and. Um, 
um, and then one day uh, I, I woke up in the morning. I was, you know, uh, cleaning myself in the, up in the bathroom, and I spat into the sink, and all this blood came out. And uh, the sink was covered in blood. A minute later, and um, okay, it's not like going to war and losing a leg or something. But at, at 20 years old, um, that was quite a shock, and aesthetically it was a shock. And um, and at that moment, I decided to completely change my life. And um, uh, within a year, I, I, I quit the IoT. Um, I quit my job. Uh, I uh, worked on a portfolio. I got into Chelsea College of Art and Design, which was one of the best in England. Uh, I had long hair all the way down my back. I still think of myself as a sort of long hair bohemian in some ways. But I, sh I shaved it off. I changed where I was living. I was literally, within a year, I was pretty much a, a different person, really, uh, to all intents and purposes, which is a very chaos magic thing. Absolutely. Do, I've done it many times. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and when I look back at that now, and I think a lot of people would look back and say, oh, man, that must be horrible. And I think to myself, you know, well, thank goodness, because that changed my life and propelled me into all kinds of different uh, life scenarios that I would never have had. And, you know, now a few decades later, and I've, I've been in America for a couple of decades, um, you, know, I, you know, I've lived in Canada as, Canada as well. I'm now in New York. But, but, you know, this would have been unthinkable, unthinkable for someone from my uh, family or background. And yet it wasn't the, the, the good fortune that pushed me towards this. Um, if anything, I think good fortune would, would have held me back. And, you know, I've known people who had good luck early on, and they, they really are now stuck. Yeah. Well, I had terrible fortune, and it's been great for me. Thanks. You know, you that, know. that Lou Reed so, song, Men of Good Fortune? Men of Good Fortune often <laughs> can't do anything. You know, it's from his Berlin yeah, album in the early 70s. While, while men of poor beginnings yeah. often can do anything because, you know, Lou Reed always yeah. rhymes the same word with the same word. Um, yeah, well, you've got nothing to lose, right? So. Absolutely. And that's such a critical yeah. uh, experience. I've been pushed to that many times. I think mm. that it, it's weird. Mm. It's perhaps harder now because we are our, our mm -hmm. whole lives are cataloged for the whole world on Google. Yeah. Uh, if we're in the public, yeah, that's right. it's not impossible. And um, sometimes, yeah. but I, I don't think that, you know, life, you know, life has a way of pushing people on the path into that situation. I think, I don't know if it's yeah, necessarily it just you decide to do it one day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to just circling back real briefly. I I do mm -hmm. want to. Uh, I very much appreciated your call out of Malcolm Gladwell because I do think he's a bit of a pernicious influence <laughs> on society. I was you, you mentioned he's saying, yeah. well, you can only be a successful baseball mm -hmm. player if you're born in August or something like this because yeah, that's, that's when the right. draft is. It's like it's just ridiculous. And his idea of oh, it's, it takes ten thousand hours to get good at anything mm -hmm. is so mechanistic and completely ignores the facts yeah. of young geniuses or people who have moments of inspiration yep. or and it takes mm -hmm. away the self agency and it just quantifies yeah, it to this. Right. It just makes it, it just feels defeatist. And yes, I mean the push yeah. to mastering your craft absolutely, but um, I feel that it that that meme that it's a bit of a pernicious meme that you put out there the ten thousand hours mm -hmm. idea because it just sucks the joy out of everything <laughs> yeah that's right absolutely yeah and uh, you know i think it, you know i mean he's obviously highly intelligent and he has many good things to say and many interesting things to think about 
but, but yeah, this push to sort of see ourselves as we're just sort of like victims of circumstance and okay, we can work hard and that'll make a difference, but really it's sort of out of our hands. And, you know, he himself is, um, you know, someone I would think should not have made it, you know, I believe he grew up in Canada, um, you know, and he's of a mixed race parentage, I believe. Um, I mean, I would think by his own definition, that is not necessarily fortuitous would not put you on the fast track for becoming a New York Times bestselling author. And yet it's exactly what happened to So I would say that proves my thesis. Absolutely. But, you know, you know, yeah. And I think that the problem is we're being told today that, you know, well, if you have some disadvantage, if you had some tragedy in your past, you need to hang on to that and really identify with it. And I would say, no, you need to realize that's your fuel to project you into the future and, and make the kind of changes in your life that you think are unthinkable, but that will really, really benefit you. That's such a core, that's such, your a life. Criti- such a critical idea. Absolutely. And, and just, yeah. just his- history proves this attitude wrong. I mean, it's it like, does. it's from, yeah, yeah, it's like the thing in the Bible. I am the corner, I'm the cornerstone the builder has rejected. It's always, which yeah. is a very, I mean, I call people always, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's very prove it true in a way where it's like, it's always yeah. the most, um, um, you know, well, even just looking at history, it's like from Christ to Hitler, it's the people who were just total nobodies <laughs> that changed everything, right. you know, so <laughs> right, right, unexpectedly, yeah. nobody could have predicted yeah. and just came out of just yeah. poverty and destitution, but they had the burning will to do good or evil. Yeah, yeah indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, you touch on so many initiatory traditions mm-hmm. in this book, whether mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. Uh, martial arts schools or or um, mm-hmm. uh, Islamic mysticism and things like this. Do you want to talk mm-hmm. about maybe some of the, if you want to, some of the schools that you yourself have been through and what maybe the ones that have been most sure. formative to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So, you know, as I mentioned, I began as sort of um, initiated into neo-paganism, sort of like a, you know, Wicca-ish, I would say. Uh, and then when I was 19, I joined the Illuminates of Nartaros, which I think your viewers will know is a chaos magic yes. order. And a very intense time, has to be said, uh, when I joined. Um, I joined the London Temple. There was only one at that time. And um, later on, um, I became involved with um, Nampai Chuan, Shaolin Kung Fu in London. And... Um, you know, I had a, you know, brief experiences with, you know, Buddhism or Hinduism. Um, but really, I would say um, uh, um, probably in major influences after that, I became uh, joined Freemasonry in, um, in New York a couple of decades ago, which has been a transformative experience, not least of all, uh, really opening me up to what, uh, is the background for many of these other orders, such as the Golden Dawn or the Ordo Templi Orientis, and you really get a different, very different sense of history when you when you join Freemasonry or really Absolutely. understand it. Yeah, I had the same experience. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, and that's been a, a great experience, and and I would say, fortunately, it's now uh, much more open to the esoteric, to the mystical, even to a little bit to the uh, occult these days. Uh, so I feel a little bit more open about that. But uh, other things that I have uh, joined, I, ha- I without mentioning any names, I have jo- been asked to join others are very ceremonial, ritualistic orders, and they're typically not stuck around. And um, 
you know, recently or the last few years, I was kind of asking myself why that would be because, you know, they're quite, in a sense, similar to Freemasonry, so why not? And I, I would say that uh, it really reminded me of what did interest me when I was in the sort of neo-pagan scene or in the Illuminates of Thanatros. And, and both of those groups really influenced uh, Gnosis or trance, of the mind, altered states of consciousness. And I, and b before I joined some of these other ritualistic uh, orders, uh, I was kind of expecting there to be more of that. And, and I kind of felt like, well, if there isn't that, I'm already doing that by myself anyway. You know, uh, I'm a qualified hypnotist as well. So altered states of consciousness is something I'm very focused on. And to not experience that yeah. was a kind of let, let down. I, I have pretty much that, the exact same experience going through. Oh, really? <laughs> these, these, the, 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 the occult yeah. rat race. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Good. I'm glad it's not me. No, 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 yeah, no. I, I think we have quite, we have a, actually a shocking amount in common, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause we didn't actually know this, but yeah. So yeah. Interesting. Well, that's, that's good to know because I felt like I'm the only, I'm the only one. So that's good no, to know. definitely but, not. Yeah. I, I think that, um, but then again, going into other things you see you know there's always always mm. the temptation with the ones that are a bit more sober to see if you can bring that trance focus to them and kind of uh right, go even further right, perhaps right. yeah 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 well I'm, I'm very focused on that but i'm not really intent on bringing it to other orders i found them to be honest uh, very rigid and there's often kind of an ego component to the leadership structure, which makes that difficult. And you, you don't have to join an order to know that you can kind of get that online listening to people as well. So, yeah, the um, internet has yeah. changed a lot. Do you know um, mm, the book, um, uh, uh, The Reign of Quantity and the Sign of the Times by Ganon? Uh, yeah, I do. And I, I don't know if I've read all of it, but I've certainly read at least part of it. I mean, I, th I find Ganon's writing really hard going. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, he's a good kind of sounding board uh, as the sort of the, the reverse or the inverse of what we see today. But I would say his limitation is that, you know, again, he's completely against any kind of uh, creativity as well. It's always just re-embodying what was around a thousand years ago, if you can. And I don't think that's enough. And I don't think you can either. I mean, it's it, as we've seen with the, neo, with the neo-pagan revival, it's, yeah. it's something completely of modernity that's trying to express itself yeah. using ancient uh, forms that may, probably have nothing yeah. to do with how they were practiced. But yeah, the reason I bring right. him no, up is, um, uh, you know, it's just a conversational touch point in terms mm. of, as I was thinking about reading your book, is his idea of um, tradition versus counter-tradition and initiation versus right. counter-initiation. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's interesting going from something that I'm sure he would have considered a form of counter initiation, like chaos magic or thelema mm -hmm. yeah. into something yeah. like Sufism or Freemasonry, which, or, mm -hmm. or that mm -hmm. or basically the trajectory that you're describing in your book, which is a more mm -hmm. constructive, um, uh, being more constructive toward the transcendent ideal, which mm -hmm. yet at the same time can perhaps be a little bit hidebound if you don't reinvent it in mm -hmm. your own way. Um, so I'm just wondering yeah. if you, just from not not even necessarily in the context of your book, but touching on mm -hmm. having that kind of trajectory, which is certainly the same. I think the same trajectory that I had, although I always find mm -hmm. myself back on my own two feet and by myself, you know. But, right. um, yeah, yeah. 
you know, if you want to, I'm not quite sure what the question is here, but you know, that, that mm -hmm. idea of tradition versus counter tradition and what you make of it mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah, well, I think the, the idea of counter-tradition is an important one because, um, you know, people get involved in all kinds of things. And um, uh, it's not so much even, you know, people making up initiation rituals because maybe there's something of value in some of them, depending on what it is or, or who's making them up. Because, you know, I can say without going into any details, you know, my initiation into the elements of Thanateros and Peter Carroll initiated me. It really was a, a genuine initiation and had some, some kind of archaic elements to it that I, I kind of appreciate. But, um, you know, you, let's you even step outside the world of the occult and the esoteric. Uh, you can go to a, a church today and, uh, no, you know, for many years, and it's really all not about Jesus at all. It's all about, you know, doing right in society. Or let's just take the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, I actually used to stay in a, in a Benedictine monastery once a year for several years in my early 20s. Benedictines are a type of Catholic monk. They wear black robes. And uh, it's very dramatic. But, um, you know, and I had an amazing experience there. And they were not trying to push Christianity on you. It's in Maybe it wasn't mystical, but it was very contemplative, which was uh, incredible. Uh, and then, you know, and afterwards, I thought, well, there's a friary near where I live. Maybe I should go to a friary, go to a friary one day and see what that's like, because it's there in a way a kind of monk that swears swears an oath to travel around, whereas monks stay in one place. But uh, and I, you know, I went to the sermon there, and the entire sermon. Uh, was about you know you mustn't use condoms and I just that that could be, that is counter initiatic if you consider a religion to be initiatic which in some sense it is you know that there's no discussion of of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus uh, it's just this like modern thing that you shouldn't be doing that no one's listening to anyway there was no one there with five, five children or even three children uh, and that that's a counter initiatic experience and you yeah. and of course you can get that in the occult as well absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I think quite a, lot, quite a lot of the occult now. Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry yeah, to cut you off. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, no, no, even, absolutely. Whether it's the, you know, yeah. the OTO or even, or even liberal mm -hmm. churches, you go and it's like, well, you know, I could have yeah. got the same thing on Reddit. You know, it's like the same kind oh, of, yeah. you know. And, but I think Ganon yeah. certainly makes that point too, where it's like, you know, even the traditions are, you know, hopelessly mired in the, the kind of the downward traject traject trajectory yeah. of modernity. And it's perhaps almost mm, impossible right. to break out of. Um, even yeah. for initiatic orders are, are, you know, mm -hmm. essentially, essentially caught in the current, not the 93 currents or whatever, but you know, the current of, uh, not the cool ones, no, not no. the cool current, the, the, the current the we don't like <laughs> the, 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 yeah, yeah. the uncool kids current. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that's the thing they are. And, um, you know, unlike say, uh, chivalry or Islamic Futawa or the samurai, well, you know, you're learning a spirituality, uh, martial arts, uh, calligraphy, uh, maybe music, philosophy, uh, all of these different things in one. Uh, today, we have to join different uh, different types of groups to get something comparable. So maybe we have to join, you know, um, a martial arts school, but then we need to learn meditation somewhere else. Maybe we learn, need to learn religion or philosophy somewhere else as well. We're definitely going to need to learn art or calligraphy or something creative and constructive somewhere else. So it's a very 
it's very broken apart. But if we can go through these, we will find some kind of thing that links them and we can create a whole in our own lives, at least create something holistic for ourselves. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, you probably cannot just join one tradition and think you're going to get an initiatic experience in most cases, for sure. Yeah, it seems to be so. Um, so we, I, I think writers are always um, in dialogue with their time. And, and I think that mm. um, I don't think we can totally pass over the kind of um, push towards traditionalism or, or nationalism as a, as a, as a current mm. in society that certainly pre COVID mm -hmm. was um, pretty prevalent. Uh, I mean, you, you even mentioned Roger Scruton at the end of the book, the late Roger Scruton. Right. Um, and you say that uh, the forces that guide society are generally unconscious and work through the collective and hence through superstition, widespread fear, popular opinion, mob violence, and in places where the populace is uneducated and does not know how to think, but is only capable of absorbing opinions through democracy itself. In many cases around the world, nation states have been able to retard and to some extent to reverse the pull of modernity by readopting and adapting their old worldview. Shia Islam in Iran, Confucianism mixed with capitalism in China, Hinduism or uh, Hindutva, this is actually a new word for me, mm -hmm. in India and Orthodox Christianity in Russia. Thus, they can hold at bay one worldview with another that is less malleable and historically and psychologically deeper rooted, even if it is opposed by a great many in these societies. Religion isn't the only weapon, however. A critic of brutalist style modern architecture, the philosopher Roger Scruton, remarked that no one would object if cities were built in the style of the city of uh, Bath. And that, of course, is true. With roots going back all the way back to 60 BCE, Bath is almost certainly Britain's most beautiful city. But reconstructing such cities is not suitable for a country with over 65 million people or a world with 8 billion people. We cannot endlessly replicate the past. So this is, I think, the one passage mm -hmm. in the book that most uh, struck me as kind of in pointing towards the, I think it's particularly because you mentioned Scruton and Russian orthodoxy, um, the mm -hmm. kind of push towards traditionalism. And you mentioned it at the, I think yeah, for the first yeah. time at the nation state level. And certainly this is the mm -hmm. geopolitical stance that Putin has taken, uh, that, uh, yeah. that Dugan, Alexander Dugan has perhaps been an influence on, and it's certainly been mm -hmm. an undercurrent, yeah. uh, you know, that has, and, and perhaps even, um, a, a source of extreme conflict within the occult world for the last four or five years mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. kind of sudden re-emerging of the traditionalist school and 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 i i'll point out yeah. i mean you take ex you, you take pains even right at the beginning of the book to distance yourself from for instance evola and and things like this so yeah yeah but um maybe just touch on that because i mean this is a book that can certainly be seen to mm -hmm. some extent as at least in reference to that trend mm -hmm. within a culture um but is also mm -hmm. saying something individual and maybe if you want to yeah. touch on that from a more um, I mean, this is a, for instance, I talked, I talked to Gary Lockman about this, uh, when his book came mm -hmm. out, right, I, right. I think this current has perhaps, perhaps gone away completely post Trump presidency. Well, is dormant for now post Trump presidency mm -hmm. and post COVID because people have just been dealing with the reality of a very yeah. different situation. But, um, yeah. you know, the, we, we can't, I, I think we can't gloss over the sudden, uh, impact of the the whatever that was the reemergence of that into mm. into the occult world or the the counterculture world yeah. whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, I definitely think it's going to continue and we'll see more of it. And even, uh, I don't know the individual's name, but the shaman of the uh, at the sort of Trump rally where they oh, yeah. <laughs> the QAnon the shaman, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm not so sure what he, yeah, weird... what he represents, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I'm sure that this uh, this mixing of traditionalism and the occult will continue. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I uh, you know, you, uh, I think from reading my book, it's pretty clear i don't like saying i'm distancing myself because it sounds a little bit fakey but but i think if you read understand my philosophy uh what i'm saying is you don't want to get to either of these extremes uh, and that's why you want to develop as we were saying in the beginning develop this dual nature within yourself so you can resist these sort of up and down of society is going back and forth into some weird modernity or back into some weird simulacra of the past as well uh, and you know um you know with roger scruton this idea that we can build cities like you know roman cities is completely ridiculous and um we can use that as a metaphor for religion. is that what we he is that what he's, is, that, is that what he said or is that your response to him that it would be uh, ridiculous well, he, to he, do that he thinks it would be good it seems uh, uh, right, i think okay. it would be crazy okay you know, okay. With, you know seven eight billion people on the planet we'd, we'd need five planets for those sort of buildings it's just you know and and we should be looking ahead in terms of architecture to you know uh, buildings that you see in mexico city and in china where they're incorporating nature into the structures of buildings that that is a way forward and that's both in a sense very traditional or maybe we could say archaic or archetypal and yet modern at the same time so that that's great but uh, yeah this uh yeah i don't this trying to readopt some kind of um ancient practice wholesale is is never going to work um this this rejection of everything in modernity the rejection of creativity itself and the innovation we need innovation and we need creativity um but the way to really be creative and authentically innovative is generally well and i would say always is to go through some kind of, and I know tra tradition is a tricky word, but tradition, let's say martial arts. You study martial arts until you go beyond the martial art you, you've practiced, or you study fine art painting, but eventually you go beyond the teachings and you develop your own style. So that's the idea that, yet, yeah, we need some kind of tradition because we need a starting point, and you need the, the good things in the tradition that you, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. Uh, we have to, if you want to make a car, you have to begin with what's there. But at the same time, a tradition is also something to hit against. It's something to go against. And, and one of the things with getting rid of all tradition is not just that uh, it will get rid of restrictions. It will actually restrict us more in some ways because there will be nothing to, to sort of hit against. So we end up creating things that are meaningless. We want to create things that are meaningful. And so you need to go through some kind of tradition, martial arts, fine art, music, philosophy, spirituality, esotericism, whatever it is. And then when you come out the other side, contemplated it for a certain number of years, then you will start to create things that are original, yet at the same time, if you've really understood what it is about, it will reflect something archetypal, eternal, you know, again, as Carlil Gibran says, if what I've said is true, someone with a will come again and say it in other words. Uh, and that's really what we're aiming for, or what I'm uh, aiming for. 
uh, you know, this whole book is a, a transcendent experience going through life, its difficulties, merging the warrior and the mystic to create something that is both archetypal and innovative, innovative and right for the future uh, to create a better self and, you know, hopefully uh, leave something positive for other people as well. Um, but definitely not this, um, you know, wholesale adopting of either of the latest fashion, which is going to be dead in five years from now, or, or some simulacra of the past. You need to constantly balance the tradition and innovation and creativity and move beyond your own limits and the limits of tradition. So uh, that's what I would say in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think that um, in my own path through whatever you want to call it, you know, mm. the initiation of life or whatever, it, it, it often mm. seemed as if I was forced to recapitulate prior periods. So it was almost like, like mm -hmm. I had my, my hippie phase where I, you know, where I was like, yeah. just wanted, you know, my yeah, acid and mushrooms phase where I just wanted to, <laughs> or it's all of a sudden yeah. that stuff really made sense to me. And it's just like, oh, this is mm -hmm. like, okay, I get it. I get what this was about. And then I had, mm -hmm. you know, kind of my corporate, my eighties corporate, uh, self-obsessed mm -hmm. greed phase, you know, and it's like, yeah. And, uh, so, but it was almost like, you know, like I had to recapitulate at least I wouldn't mm -hmm. say all history, absolutely, you know, so it would be impossible, but at least the lived experience of those who were currently alive on the planet, right? You know, so yeah. going back yeah. to, you know, certainly the 40s and the 30s and things like that, so that I had to go through mm -hmm. those periods and mm -hmm. get to get the gnosis, if you will, you know, or get, understand yeah. what that was by recapitulating it. Right. And it was only by doing yeah. that that I was able to, I guess, have a feel. I guess at least within myself feel that I could have a dialogue with culture, right? Yeah, Cause I've done yeah. my, I've done my research. Right. Exactly. And pr presumably gone beyond what you were practicing earlier on as well. So. Always. Yeah. I mean, it's all, yeah. we're always pushed. I think even if we don't want to be yeah. pushed <laughs> to get to go yeah. to the next, whatever the next thing is. Some of us, yeah, and that's fortunate, even though it feels unfortunate at the time often. But you, you mentioned it always feels unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the word gnosis, which is a very IoT chaos magic yes. word, but also a word that you find in in relation to Islamic mysticism as well, Arthan, translated as gnosis. And um, I mean it in that sense, in the uh, sense of transcendent knowing rather than, yeah, you know, exactly. I got plus yeah. five, I got high, plus five high and focused on a sigil. <laughs> yeah, but I, I would say that ultimately that's what my book is about. It is it is about the journey towards gnosis. So it's definitely not um, uh, shilling for one side or another or making any kind of uh, innuendo that one might be better. It's purely about the individual achieving gnosis through this process of life and going through difficulties and inner struggles and, and experiencing, in a sense, a kind of mystical revelation at the end of that. But, uh, yeah. Well, maybe we should end on, I'm curious perhaps if you want to give a, you know, um, particularly to younger people, let's say, mm -hmm. let's say guys in their, you know, late teens or even, even mid, mid, even particularly mid twenties, I think is when, um, yeah. men can often feel very lost and mm -hmm. that, um, or jilted. I mean, I think there's a couple mm -hmm. periods in life mm -hmm. one is probably mid twenties, and then, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, around 40 where it's like, 
um, wow, the dream is over. <laughs> and uh, suddenly, every, you know, the, you know, all, all of our plans for life are, uh, um, seem as if they were perhaps uh, an illusion and we were forced mm-hmm. to deal with. And certainly the Saturn return period and things like that. But let's say particularly mm-hmm. for, for guys in their mid-20s who may feel a bit lost and, and lacking in power, you know, without power mm-hmm. in, a, in a, in a, in a fairly dead and malevolent society. I mean, yeah. you know, other than handing them this book, I mean, what would you perhaps say mm-hmm. to them? Yeah. Well, I would say two things. I think I'd probably say more than that, but in the interest of time, I would say, first of all, you know, embrace your struggles. Well, take your time. Um, this is the yeah. internet. You have as much time as you want. Oh. <laughs> this is the last question, but go as long as you want. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So I would say embrace your struggles, you know, don't feel bad about it. Um, things that happened to you in the past. You don't want to I- identify with those struggles and say, oh, woe is me. But you, you do want to realize that's going to be the catalyst to becoming much greater than you would have been. So you want to, if you're having a tough time or you've had negative experiences in your life, that's what's going to make you in the end. So you want to uh, contemplate that and figure out how, in a sense, and pursue, pursue what's difficult, pursue what is a struggle. And, uh, and the other thing I would say is develop yourself as a whole. So, you know, read books by intelligent authors, read classical philosophy, read ancient philosophy, but, um, you know, develop, develop your physical body. Uh, you don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, but, but you should be able to look in the mirror and see some muscle. Uh, one of the weird things that we as men experience is that we don't really know, especially today, but we don't really know when we become men. You know, maybe a century ago, there was still some at least pretty corrupt, but at least some semblance of an initiation into manhood. You know, your dad would take you for your first pint of beer or whatever, or, you know, whatever it was, or you would you know, be, in, be in a war probably. But, uh, you know, World War, World War One or mm-hmm. two. But um, no fun. But uh, but today, there's no. We don't know when we become men. Uh, women know they menstruate. Women menstruate together. They menstruate in time with the moon, and uh, so they're linked in with other women and with with nature, which is a you know a wonderful thing, absolutely. But men don't have that, so we have to develop our own bodies and be able to look and say, yeah, that is the body of a man. That is an initiatic experience in itself. It's, it's part of, um, you know, see this Shaolin monks have very muscular bodies or Bruce Lee or the warrior in general. That's an initiatic experience, and that's kind of a ground level for it. But again, you know, develop your mind, your intellect, develop a spiritual practice as well, meditation, try and develop different states of consciousness. Rational thinking is not enough. Uh, that's why in martial arts, in art, you're entering these other states of consciousness, what's often called flow today. So our mind is much more expansive than we're told it is today. Uh, you know, I'm rammed with this idea that we are sort of rational producers. Well, we're, we're much, much more than that. And we're constantly in and out of these different states of consciousness. So develop your body, develop your intellect, develop the mind as a whole develop a spiritual practice and develop a creative practice as well, whether that's a business or painting or calligraphy or poetry, 
develop yourself as a whole, everybody else is going to want to make you a cliche and tell you what you are and what your limits are. But you are unlimited. You should develop yourself as a whole. This duality that will enable you to go beyond beyond what is expected of you, beyond people where people will tell you you can't advance beyond. And um, that would be really my main advice to a young man. Well, I couldn't agree more. So where can find uh, the book is out now, right? Uh, it's out November 9th. It's November so 9th. Okay. Putting this out. Yeah. Uh, ooh, I was going to put it out pretty quick, but um, can you pre-order it on Amazon? You can pre-order on Amazon Excellent. and probably some other places as well. Certainly on Amazon, you can probably pre-order it in Barnes, Barnes & Noble. Noble as well. And then yeah, Indie, Indie Bound, think. I think, Inner Traditions usually Indie sells Bound. it. Indie Bound, I know they will yeah. have it. Yeah, I don't know if you can pre-order on there, but they will have it on Amazon.com and Amazon.co.uk. You can pre-order. And then where, where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, they can go to my website, angelmillar.com, and it's A-N-G-E-L-M-I-L-L-A-R.com. And you can find out about uh, my writing, books, hypnosis, and states of consciousness, and all other good things like that. Well, uh, sounds wonderful. Well, it was a, uh, it was a treat having you, you on the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. It was fantastic. I really enjoyed it.